Fresh up and maniacs, you're listening to another episode, holiday season episode of the Shop Talk Show. I'm Dave Osh Rupert, and with me is Chris. Dang it, Coy. <laughs> hey, Chris. I'm cool with being the PG version of of our okay. of our duo. That's fine with Sorry me. Sorry for the bleeps there. It's probably going to be a lot of that this episode, but we'll get through it. Hey, Chris, who do we got in the studio today? Well, we have a very special guest, and there's there's all kinds of stuff that we can talk about, and I'm very excited to have her on, Katie Sailor Miller. Hey, how are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Good. Um, very good. Very good. So so Dave's joke was that um, one of the things that you're famous for is a, is a website about everybody's favorite version control system, <laughs> Git, uh, yes. And your your website, uh, um, <laughs> which I'll let you introduce, is called, uh, get ready to bleep this, oh, get.com. Um, and you know what? For for the unbleeped version of both the website and this podcast, there is dangitget.com that you can visit that's just yes. a mirror of the same thing. So, yes, without um, the swears. Fa- yeah, fantastic. <laughs> we just like to... Keep our clean rating here at shoptalkshow.com. <laughs> Tell, uh, let's ch- maybe we'll start. We'll bounce back and forth. But but first of all, you're you're Katie. You're 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 Boston. You're Etsy. Mm-hmm. What else? I mean, uh, can you? Tell us those things, but in your own words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, in addition to making swear-filled websites, um, I also am a front-end architect at Etsy. Um, and as you mentioned, I am uh, remote. So I live in Boston. We're headquartered in Brooklyn. Um, so I get to go to New York several times a year um, and visit the office. And gosh, see that's like the ideal. I think for me, if if, if a client or a, a company, I could live where I want to, but then I get a visit. New York. Yeah, no, and it works out nice because my partner is not the biggest fan of New York, and I absolutely love New York, so um, he doesn't have to come with me. <laughs> you, you can go do the New York things, eat a bagel in twenty degree weather. Yep. It's not yeah. next door, but it's not crazy, right? What is four hours by train? Yeah, like it's like three and a half hours on the train, which is a million times better than flying anywhere. It's like train travel is civilized. You know, you just walk on and you have a nice comfy seat with lots of legroom and Wi Fi. So Oh god. Yeah. Living the life. I know. You know, my favorite thing about New York isn't the Natural History Museum or Central Park. It's paying like $14 for a beverage. <laughs> I think that's just what, that's my favorite part of the whole NY experience. Yeah. So. It's, <laughs> it's crazy. It's very so, crazy. so you go down to Boston once in a while, but I, I really, I almost mostly want to talk about life at Etsy and what the heck a front end architect is and all that stuff. But we already did the, we already did the Git thing. So let's go there first. Like, what is? Yeah. It? So, um, so the Oh Bleep Git website kind of came out of um, when I was learning Git myself. You know, I had been a .NET developer for a really long time. And, you know, when you are using the Microsoft ecosystem, you used to use this other source control system called Team Foundation Server, which is all visual and built into Visual Studio. And then I kind of got thrown into Git and um, someone was standing over my shoulder and saying, okay, type this into the command line, type this into the command line. Oh, wait, you don't have that alias, CO, 
set in your bash profile. (laughs) (laughs) So wait, what's the real command you have to, I mean, it was a disaster basically. And so I kept making these mistakes and I would Google and look on Stack Overflow. And so I had this like list of notes of the problems that I got into all the time and then how I eventually figured out how to solve them. Um, it's just every week for me still. Oh, well. Just all, well, I don't, I don't merge without Googling first. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, like the most basic, because like you flip those two around, you get very different, like get merge master my mm-hmm. feature or get merge my feature master. Those are two very Ooh, different commands. Extremely. You forgot they, origin. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. You always want to do are... origin, but, but yeah, like it's, I mean, Git is, it's so baffling. I think when you're first learning it, it's, it's baffling because everything is in the command line. And I don't know about both of you, but I'm a very visual person. I'm a visual, that's why I'm a front end developer is because I'm a visual person and like having a bunch of text in a command line just didn't make any sense at all to me what was happening under the hood. Cause you can't see it, you know? So are you command line get to this day or do you, did you, cause there's options to not command line get. Yeah. For sure. no, well, well, I think the thing is, is that um, because of the website and it going viral and people all of a sudden like treating me as though I was a Git expert when really I was like barely functionally literate in Git, it kind of forced me to actually go out and learn the underlying principles and fundamentals, like of mm-hmm. what are the data mm-hmm. structures, what do all these commands actually do under the hood. Um, so now I do everything on the command line, and I feel super comfortable with it because I have like the picture is in my head of yeah. <laughs> what yeah. is all these commands doing. I don't need to have it visually on the screen. I can I have it in my head as like a solid mental model. Would you believe people think I know how to do CSS too? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> isn't your Twitter handle like at CSS? I bought that though. <laughs> <laughs> just buy, buy problems. <laughs> buy, uh, I, I think that's awesome that you like were like, I'm going to learn a thing. I'm going to po- make a website about the thing I'm learning, which is like just the classic, I don't know, just the, I don't know, the quintessential like, what project should I do? You should do that kind of project. I think it's great. Uh, but it's not even like a how to use Git exactly or even like a a. it's it's specifically how do I fix my problem? Like I have broken it. it the head is detached, whatever that means. How do I get out? And, and I find this site very useful. Thank you. Yeah. So what's one like, can we do, can we, cause I, this is our thing on the show is to, uh, is to attempt to do things over audio that should never, ever be done via audio. Mm-hmm. And one of these, so sometimes we do mouth blogging. That's one of our favorites okay. or okay. we do, or we do or like try to explain some CSS concept in 45 minutes. That's like float left, you know, mm-hmm. or uh, yeah, let's just tackle the command line. Yeah. <laughs> well, this one would be like, like, like one where I'm on a feature branch and I made some changes. Changes and mm-hmm. I committed them and I pushed them mm-hmm. or, or wait, we can stop. Let's stop one short of that. Let's say I committed them to my local branch. And I'm like, nope, bad. Did not want to do that. That happens to me. I'd say all the time. Yeah. So, so that, that would be an bleep moment, right? Where I'd be like, oh, I absolutely don't want to commit that thing. It actually has a mistake. Like I, most likely I'm on the wrong branch. 
Like I'm on master and I don't want to be. I want to be on my feature branch. So like, can we can we mouth blog that one? Yeah, yeah, totally. So, um, so I think the first thing, which is like kind of a pro tip I tell everyone is um, if you Google um, git branch in bash command, then there's a bunch of different solutions that come up for how to update your bash prompt so it shows you which brand you're currently uh, checked out in Git. So like with Git, you know, obviously, I mean, you can make mistakes and there's a way to fix them, but I think the best solution is not to make the mistake at all. Um, that's nice sentiment. Okay, <laughs> so you're 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 morphing your 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 terminal to have some visual aspects to it to help you. Yeah, so as somebody, I, I don't even use Terminal. I mean, I can kind of do it, but I use Git Tower. Just, and I've experimented with other landscape of it. But So it, it helps me in that there's a big, you know, there's a big thing that says head. It's, <laughs> uh, it's attached on the sidebar to the, to the branch that I'm on. But it's the visual equivalent of that, right? But if you're on your terminal at all, until, and, you're, and you happen to be CD'd into a a directory that has Git in it. Is, mm-hmm. Yep, or, or, and it'll it'll yeah it'll show you whatever the currently checked out branch. So like as you said, the whatever branch head is currently pointing to. So, but it's possible you're in your code editor making changes and you didn't even think about what branch you're on, right? Oh, totally. Yeah. So in that case, so if if we can't prevent the problem because obviously you can't prevent every problem, the solution is to use what's called Git reset. And so what reset does is you pass in um, either a direct commit reference, so like a hash for a commit in history, a previous one, or you can pass in a bunch of shorthand properties like um, head tilde, which takes you back in time one commit, or head, head tilde uh, two, which takes you back in time two commits. It's that easy? Seriously? It is, <laughs> yeah. And then what reset does is it it takes those commits that you've specified it detaches them from the branch and then drops all those changes that were made in that commit back into your staging area or your workspace, depending so on that's the That's good for people to know, too, that it's not like you have to, like, delete your work. They just go to un- unstaged files again. Oh, thank yeah. gosh. You know, yeah. now, I can, now I can stash them, probably. I don't know how many people use stash, but I feel like that's, like, my most commonly used thing ever because I make so many mistakes yeah. about which branch I'm on. Constant, constantly. I should probably reevaluate my life because like, <laughs> I am always on the wrong branch. Always. And so uh, I get stash, get pull, get stash pop. Yeah. That's my MO, man. <laughs> yeah. Every day, all day. Yeah. I like, yeah. and I pre- I almost think that maybe Tower gives me bad habits because it's so inconsequential when I am on the wrong branch that when I go to switch without committing the files, it's like, oh, you probably just want to stash those quick before you switch, right? And it just automatically does that. Uh, but then I ha- it doesn't automatically unstash them, so whatever I have to grab them out. But that that that's my trick, right? Even if I commit it, I go, oh crap, back up. Which you're saying is very easy on the command line. Just get head tilde, or yeah, get, get head tilde. Get, yep, and the head is H E A D, all in caps, and then the tilde. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. And it goes oh, or back two one. or three or whatever. Yep. And then probably stash them, and then probably move branch, and then probably unstash the stuff, and then get it on the right branch. Oh, we did it! We mouth plugged a, a, a mistake. What's like the the most common mistake though? Like, is there one that you chose to make like the first thing on this website because it's no, so I mean, common? Bu- yeah, there were a bunch of them. Another one um, that I think was super common for me was like um, I would 
commit something and then I didn't do the right formatting for the commit message. Like if I'm committing to master, you know, typically like, Mm. like we, you know, we have like a set format where you are supposed to put um, a link to a JIRA ticket. So it would be like square bracket FES dash one, two, three, four for like, I'm on the Fez team and we have ticket number one, two, three, four in JIRA. And then, and then you put your description. And so a lot of times I would forget to put in the right text or I would realize after the fact. So you you need to, you need to change your commit message. Right. And so there's, um, get commit dash dash amend, which will open up, um, you know, for me, because I'm in the command line, it opens up Vim and gives me the existing commit message. And then I can use Vim to edit the commit message and then hit escape uh, yeah, colon amend, W. Append. Yeah, amend. Um, so that is like a really good tool for like, oh, I just messed up my commit yeah. message and I need to, I need to fix it. And amend also works if you forgot to add a file to staging and you want to commit it with your other changes. Um, you add the file into staging and then run git commit amend and then it'll add that file into the into the previous commit. Oh. And then you have to force push it up, right? Because GitHub or whatever usually doesn't like that. But. That is actually, that's something to note. Is So all of these changes that we're talking about, like reset, amending a commit to change it, um, those are things that you should really only do if you haven't pushed up the current state of your local branch to a public place because all of these changes they change the hash of that particular commit so like say um you know i push up my branch and chris pulls it down and starts adding doing more work and adds another commit onto the branch so the commit he just added is going to be looking for a parent that has a specific hash value so it's going to be looking for abcd123 and if i amend that commit or if i reset that commit and i push it back up to master then the commit that chris's branch is attached to is gone so git can't right. find it in order to add on to it in history because okay. it's like i need abc123 but i only see bbc123 exactly exactly because when you make those changes to you know if you change the commit message if you change the number of files if you change the time and the date, um, then you're changing that hash because that hash is made up of all of those different factors. And so mm. you have to be careful about not changing hashes on public branches. That's why you have to do a force push is because you've rewritten history and it sort of gets way of protecting you from getting into a situation where you've rewritten history out from underneath a, another person. Yeah, Git, GitHub specifically that product used to not like it just, you could force push to it fine it would just like update but now it'll say like Dave Rupert force pushed uh, this branch or whatever and I'm like you jerk <laughs> like, like to blame here I am you. trying to be Mister Professional Super Stealth fix my <laughs> error but GitHub's like dude check out this idiot you. You can't even you forgot a package.json or whatever. It's like the real meaning of git blame. Dude, it it's just git like public shaming. So oh well.
This episode is brought to you by Backlog. Tis the season to be organized. With the holidays quickly approaching, Backlog is the perfect tool to help your team collaborate on work in one place. With task management, bug tracking, wikis, and Git rolled into one platform, Backlog provides the powerful features development teams need with an easy interface anyone can use. Easily onboard your whole team and start working on tasks in minutes. Right now through December 5th, 2019, you can sign up for a free trial of Backlog and get entered into a holiday giveaway worth up to $1,000 in gifts for you and your team. Invite your coworkers and get an additional entry per member that joins. To learn more, visit backlog.com slash holiday giveaway. Terms and conditions apply. Our thanks to Backlog for sponsoring this episode of Shop Talk Show. Okay, so it was just one more, and then we'll talk about something else. But or, or unless you guys want to talk about this forever, in which case that's cool too, because I <laughs> I kind of love it. Let's say you went one step further, like we and we you did actually commit it, and it did actually go public, which mm-hmm. is like oh, then you're really embarrassed because you're like oh gosh, Smurfit, that's not what I wanted to do. <laughs> now everybody can see my mistake. Mm-hmm. I'm so nervous about because i know one one of the i think like in the early days when we were learning git one of the value propositions was like oh the whole point of this is that you can like roll back so effortlessly you know like you can't how do you roll back when you've all you've been doing is ftping to your server you absolutely can't you just have to remember what to change and then go change some stuff with git you just like move uh, you what is rollback even a command in git i think it might be i, I don't know like i don't i i to this day i don't like other people do so it doesn't matter that i that particularly that i don't know cuz this problems get solved at bigger companies as you know like they probably mm-hmm. by you <laughs> but but i'm so mortified of it i don't really get it so i'm like you know what i'm going to do i'm going to look at what i changed cuz i can see in the change log in the commits what happened and i'm going to commit new commits that undo the things that i did because pu- pushing is very familiar to me yeah. so i i can just move the train forward and and but that's like not what you're supposed to do right if you no, if you make a, a... an actual mistake you're supposed to like go back in time yeah yeah so the the command that you would use in that case is git revert. So revert basically does for you exactly the thing that you did manually by looking at the previous commit and creating essentially like a reverse patch, right? That undoes, undoes the work. What's confusing to me is that it's a new commit that reverts yes. though, right? It doesn't... Well, it's yeah. confusing, but... That's the whole idea of like, we can't change the public history is the reason why is because by creating a new commit on the tip of your branch, you can now push that up. And the history of the branch hasn't changed. So if other people have done work on top of that commit that you want to undo, it doesn't get disconnected from history. So it's weird. It's weird. I know. But that's the reason why is so that you have this like surgical knife where you can go back in time to to one or even you can revert multiple commits at the same time and Mm -hmm. then Mm. create a new commit that fixes it so that you don't rewrite history and screw up other people. So you literally can't rewrite history or can't, is there, isn't there actually weird circumstances where you can, but it's a bad idea or something? Yeah. Anytime that you like rebase a branch and force push, you're rewriting history, but that's like 
a good thing. You know, if you're on a feature branch and you want to bring it up to date with the current state of master, then you would do git rebase origin master, and then you have to force push your feature branch. But that's that's like a good reason to rewrite your history, right? Because mm-hmm. what it what rebase does in that case is it gets the latest state of master. It basically disconnects your new commits on the branch and then replays them back on top of master so that that the history in master is all part of the history of your branch. Ah, so so, so isn't that is that desirable sometimes and not other times? Oh, that's desirable I think all the time. I'm like team rebase cuz the other option you have to keep like a future branch up to date is to do um like a regular pull which is a merge so that creates mm-hmm. a new commit that Merges. has two parents instead of one. So it has your feature branch and then it will have the whatever state of master. So I hate those because that creates this extra commit that has nothing to do with the work that you're actually doing. It's just a merge that will take the history of these two different branches and connect them together. Oh, it's like a maintenance step. It's not like a, a feature Exactly. Exactly. Like yeah. Like it's not work that I've done or that I've changed and it creates this commit and you're like, well, I didn't do anything. Like I just want to be up to date with master. Like why do I have this extra yeah. commit hanging around? And so I'm on team rebase. You can do get pull dash dash rebase and it'll do a rebase to update your branch instead of a merge to update your branch. What about what about team squash and merge? Well, so here's yeah. the pi- team squash. You like squashing too? I I can't. I barely understand all this, but I mean, I, I I do enough to be effective at it, but it's it's hard to wrap my mind around. Here's a moment though that I can like articulate where you have a feature branch and there's some stuff and you're about to push it onto master. Great, and then something goes wrong. Yeah, not the end of the world, but I, we want to roll back because the feature has some problems. That if you did this replay all the commits over master at what commit do you roll back to Mm -hmm. it's like how do you even find where it happened whereas at least if you had the merge you can like find where that merge happened and go like one before it and be like okay that's where that's Mm -hmm. like pre this feature so at least i know where to roll back to yeah totally no i think and i think you're totally right chris that um if you do a rebase and merge when you're merging your feature branch back into master um, you do end up in that position. And also a lot of times, you know, like if you look at my feature branch, I have like 20 commits and they're all junk and the messages don't mean anything. It's like, maybe this will work this time commit. Like, yeah. Um, so yeah, so I don't think that is the best option. I think um, doing either a merge commit, like you said, where you, you do have that one point that you revert if you, if something goes wrong. Or we can do a squash and merge, which basically takes all of the the new commits on your feature branch and smushes them into a single commit that gets added into master. So you're still in that point where you have, if you have to roll back, if you have a bug, you just have a single commit. commit. Yep. Yeah, that's kind of nice. I mean, because like the, the branch that all the work was done on is still there. So if you still need to like look and see who did what, I don't know, it exists somewhere to look at, but it's just not on master. You can't tell on master who did what. But, like, who cares, right? Like, master isn't 
necess- doesn't have to be the one source of truth. The whole tree is the source. Of, I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't no, know. I think you're right. <laughs> Uh, cool. So check out the website, uh, dang it, get or the PG 13 version of it and check that out. We can still talk about get stuff if it comes up, but you have, you, you obviously, you know, like I'm sure you're a reference for get stuff at, 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 at Etsy, but you're, I'm sure as a, you're a front end architect, your job is much transcends all of this stuff. Right. So can you tell us about what life is like now? I remember we are, we are together actually at, uh, at, uh, the Jamstack conf when you, kind of got the news or at least announced the news, right? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that was um, super exciting. It's something that I've been working towards and kind of asking for for like a year now. So it's it's been a long process of kind of like proving why we need someone in this role and then, you know, why am I the right person to to be in the role? So I'm like super excited. It's 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 really is there fun. one of you, or is there a bunch of front end architects? There's one. There's me, mm-hmm. and um, you know, first ever at the company, we've had we have a few other architects who've been around for a couple of years, but they're doing a lot more like systems things. You know, mm-hmm. how uh, I guess how do y'all define architect at Etsy? I'm in a three person company, so I guess I'm an architect, <laughs> but um, but like you know. I, I guess, you know, I, I worked with other companies and, and the role of architect has always been somewhat nebulous to me. You know, is it somebody who commits code? Do they not commit code? Are they, uh, is it somebody who, uh, I guess, are they a manager of some sort? Like, do people have to vet things through them? You know, I don't, I guess, what do, how do you, or I guess, can you describe the role of architect and then specifically what a front end architect does? Yeah. So um, I think that architect, at least at Etsy, um, is one of, you know, it's a step along the the IC technical track. So it's specifically not a management role. It's, um, you know, I've been a senior and a tech lead and a staff engineer. And then this is sort of like the next logical step up of, of the more senior that you get, the more that the work that you do has impact and reach at the company outside of just your team. So, you know, we have, oh gosh, uh, something like 300 something engineers total. Holy cow, um, really? <laughs> and that's me front I, and back end. Yeah, that's or, well that's front okay. end, back end, full stack. We have mostly full stack folks. Um and then but then there's a lot of systems people who are managing, you know, our networking, they're managing our com- our computers that we run on in the cloud. Like so there I mean it's just you know, we have data engineers whose entire job it is is to to manage our big data stack. We have machine learning engineers. And then we have product engineers who are the ones who are doing like the full stack website development, you know, where they're implementing things in PHP, they're um, using our design system to implement things in the front end. Um, so, so there's, gosh, I, I want to say there's like at least 15 product teams and they're all doing different things. Um and then I have been for my time at Etsy, I started on the design systems team and then moved into front end infrastructure. 
And, you know, our job really was to support all of those product teams and to make sure that they have like the tools and the processes in place that they need in order to build um, interfaces that are, you know, performant, that are reusable, that are accessible, you know, Mm-hmm. Um, how do we do dependency management between PHP and CSS and JavaScript? Because most of our like core buyer-facing pages are written in PHP with, um, you know, more of like a vanilla slash jQuery JavaScript code base. You know, so so we were solving a lot of these questions um, and these problems, and so to me, architect is sort of just like taking the role of my team and making it like very specifically my role to have those connections across the product teams to know what's happening and know what they need and just make sure that we're solving the right problems for all of these product teams. So, so there's like not otherwise wouldn't be much glue between the teams. Yeah. It's kind of your job to make sure that your glue or yeah. at least a little bit. I, that seems so important. I I've been in a lot of companies where in you know it's very siloed. You mm-hmm. know, it's like this is the whatever team, X Y Z team. This is the A B C team, and and neither team knows what the other one's doing, and they're just putting up whatever and self code reviewing. And that that cross cutting individual role seems really important. What could go? What Are what's you, something? That you, oh no, you have one in your head, Dave. Let's hear it. Well, I guess like, you know, accessibility is probably a great example. You know, it's like one team is doing tabs one way and then the other team's doing it a totally different way and they neither one's great. Do you end up being like an escalation point for stuff like that? And like you're like, okay, here's actually how you do it, or is that kind of is it educational? Yeah, I think I, I think there is a big piece of it that's educational. Like thankfully we have a really, really great culture around using our design system and um, patterns in place that we've developed to make sure that all of our design system components like overlays or tabs or some of those things that are like really, really complicated experiences to get right for accessibility. Like we provide canonical implementations of that for product teams to use. Um, And I guess let's say somebody new is hired fresh out of college or something. And is it then kind of your role to educate or like onboard them to the design system and stuff like that? Or is that? Yeah, I think it would be, I think it would be more like, you know, meeting with newer engineers and having them say, Oh, well, I don't, I, I didn't feel like I learned enough about the design system when I was onboarded. And then my job would be to sort of, reach out to the folks who do onboarding and reach out to the design systems team and say, Hey y'all, I've been hurt. I've heard this feedback. Um, Let's look at what we're doing right now. Can we improve it? Do we need a new um, code lab? Because that's a practice we use is where you learn things by having like a toy implementation that you pull down a Git repo and you, you go and you try to build something. So maybe we need to improve our code lab or maybe we need to have someone, um, who's doing accessibility reviews set up a one hour meeting with new hires to walk them through the process. So, so I think a lot of it is it's, 
It's more like identifying the problems and escalating to the right people. Hey, this is a problem. Let's all work together and figure out how we're going to solve it. This episode is sponsored by An Event Apart. An Event Apart is the premier web design conference for UX and front-end folks just like you. Each event they put on is three days of design, code, and content for interaction designers and developers, packed with tips, techniques, and insights into the future from industry shakers and shapers. All of their 2020 show dates have been announced. Washington, D.C. in April, Seattle in May, Boston at the end of June, Minneapolis in August, Orlando in October, and San Francisco back in December. I asked Chris Coyer what else I should say here about an event apart, and he said, It's a good conference. You should go. For full details and for registration information, check out aneventapart.com. Our thanks to Invent Apart for sponsoring this episode of the Shop Talk Show. Well, when I think of front end, which is half of your job title, <laughs> it's uh, it's the browser, right? That's like the, that's what that's what the uh, that's what the front end means usually when we're talking about this kind of thing. It's the it's the browser stuff, and like, and then is does that mean it's not like native stuff too because Nutsy's got a bunch of native apps too right do you like get to piece out of that or do you have to deal with it? no I generally am not super involved with the the native app however we have certain pages in the app that load the website inside of a web view because we haven't had you know the time or the resources to duplicate the really you know like checkout is insanely complicated so we don't have right now a native checkout experience that loads the regular web checkout in a web view so there are touch points where you know um that's I, fascinating really you'd think the native checkout would have all these advantages right like oh then it's integrated with android pay automatically or whatever so you but but I could see how checkout on Etsy specifically is weird because it's like, I don't know, it's send to this address or pay with PayPal or your saved credit card. or mm-hmm. I, Checkout is a little unique on Etsy, yeah. isn't it? I'm yeah, sure or what know. if you're buying items from um, two or three different sellers and each of them has a different policy? Oh, yeah, that's what's really tricky, right? Cause yeah. It's, it's the money goes <laughs> to them, not to you. Exactly, yeah, or, yeah. So the money, you know... Um, so yeah, so I think it's it's just like as, as with everything in a big engineering organization, you're constantly making decisions about trade-offs, you know, and like like how much is it worth investing in one thing over another? What's the consequence of that? Like what what's the smartest decision here? Maybe sometimes we trade off something like having a super slick completely native checkout app with the, with the reliability of having a single team that owns all of checkout and owns a single code base and they don't have to be native engineers. They can just make the web page, you know, so, um, that constantly makes a ton, a ton of sense. Well, you would be involved in that choice or, or whatever. I, I don't know. Yeah, theoretically, like we're, I don't... We're, we're, we're drilling you about your day-to-day job responsibilities. It's like, I, it's just cause we're fascinated. I think, you know, like what a, what a, what a cool, what a cool role to be able to like, you know, it's like you stepped up the ladder a little bit and can look, look down upon a little wider view of what's going on. Is that, is that what's happening totally. or like, totally. what, what is yeah. a day-to-day kind of experience? Well, I mean, it's only been a couple of weeks, but 
um, really a lot of it is just sort of, you know, it's funny. I'm like this front end architect, but the main thing that I've been doing is writing SQL to do data analysis <laughs> to try to figure out like, you know, a big project I'm working on is rethinking our internal web performance um, dashboards and metrics and like, what are we tracking? What are we looking at? What's important? How do we surface that? So it's a lot of like writing SQL to go and look at our RUM data and decide, okay, what are, what are, what's a better way to display this? What are the trends? You know, um, gosh, another thing I've been working on is um, uh, someone from our QA team reached out about having better integration between what the front end infrastructure teams are doing and what the the QA teams are doing. And so we had a meeting to talk about that. Um, you know, I, I am starting, I, this is actually something I'm really excited about is, um, you know, to try to figure out like for infrastructure teams to know, okay, what do we need to be doing? What do we need to be working on? We're going to do this UX um, user research and come up with like a user journey map of the product development experience and kind of use that to surface like touch points and opportunities for where can we improve things like documentation? Where can we improve onboarding? Where are our systems not providing exactly what product engineers need in order to like build a product and ship it out to the world and run an experiment and all of that. So, um, so yeah, it's a lot of like kind of, seeing problems and thinking about how are we going to fix them? And then a lot of it is going to be convincing other people that we need to go out and actually do this work. Uh, I mean, I, you know, like let's say QA or something you're, you're, you could be like, Oh, let's just start using Cypress or something. And maybe you do a proof of concept or something and you're like, Hey, isn't this great? But then to like do the full coverage is going to be, a lot of work. Mm -hmm. I mean, so, so how do you, I guess, how do you start that or to, does that now that's now politicking? Is that part <laughs> of the job too? Yeah, I think any, it, I think it is going to be, and it's something that I had already been doing a lot of and, and there's this concept. So um, maybe it was like two years ago or a year ago, um, a guy named Kumar Garg who used to work for the Office of Technology under President Obama. He published a blog post and some tweets talking about um, this concept of influence without authority. And I think that that really perfectly describes what it's like to grow as a, as a technical leader at a big company is that, you know, you're you're expected to start tackling these bigger problems and these wider reaching problems and have this wide impact. Yet I don't have any authority to tell anybody what to do. You know, like I'm not a manager, I'm not a product owner. I don't have budgetary oversight. I, all I can do is sort of come up with, okay, here's a problem. Here's why we need to solve it here's what I think we should maybe try to do and then go out and it's all convincing other people of believing that fact too. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> you're, it, it does feel like you're like a doctor and I do this in client service stuff. You know, you're kind of like, 
okay, here's what it looks like. The problem is here's some solutions to get around it, but ultimately it's up to them to take off with that and adopt. And, and, you know, I can raise my voice and write blog posts or whatever, but it, it doesn't, you know, it's ultimately up to, you know, some system of engineering managers or product owners to prioritize it, you know? This is a, if you, if you need a minute to ruminate on it, that's cool. But I'm fascinated. Like you, you've been there a, a, a minute. Like what is some stuff you, y'all do really well that you like think is interesting? And Yeah. And like, so I think um, something that we are really, really good at is culture of like openness. So um, I could probably jump into just about any Slack channel of any team at Etsy with a question about, hey, can you help me understand this? Or, hey, I need to make a change. You know, a lot of times, especially when I was on design systems, we would have to make these changes that are like site wide. And so you have to constantly reach out to a million teams and be like, how do I test this? How do I um, make sure that what I'm doing is right? Can you help me with this? And universally, whenever that happens, people are kind and helpful and generous with their time. So I think, you know, if you're thinking about like, what are the things that Etsy does really well? I think that, that having that culture of trusting That's each awesome. other. It's, it's, it's like transcends a technological thing that you're doing, right? Like it's almost more and more important. Than- yeah. I don't know. I, I think uh, not responding for three days is usually like the better mm. Uh, mm. solution. Mm. I don't know. Has anyone tried that? <laughs> is that just me? That's- right. Or like, or like, I think, you know, I, I mean, there was a place that I worked for a little while. I didn't work there for very long because I didn't like this attitude, but everything was very siloed and it was like, Oh, you know, I reported into the, to the UX org as a front end engineer. This is not Etsy to be absolutely clear. Um, and I wanted to make a change to a Jenkins job to output our CSS source maps. And I said, hey, you know, I know how to do this in like the grunt process. I know what I need to do to update this. Can can somebody help me change Jenkins? Can we get this to happen? And they said, oh, well, no, you're not an engineer. You can't touch this system because I didn't report into the engineering org. And I, you know, and I wasn't like in the right team to touch the Jenkins job and, and something like that would never, ever, ever happen. (laughs) People would be like, Oh, you want to learn about Jenkins? Yes, please. Let me teach you. Like do my job for me. I love it. You know? (laughs) Oh man, that's great. Yeah. It can get, those silos are weird and, and, you know, or like, yeah, I've just, I've seen every which way, but Mm -hmm. Or even just how the agile system churns, you know, like, like so-and-so may have whatever uh, 2,200 story points this sprint and, and they literally can't like take time off to help you with your Jenkins problem because Mm -hmm. they'll get yelled at by their scrum master Mm -hmm. for not, you know, whatever, slipping their average velocity or blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah, you know, and, and. It depends on that aspect of it too, like 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 your team, you know, whatever. If your team is so siloed and so, I guess, high, I want to say hydrophobic, but like can't blend with any other team, you know, that seems like a problem. So. Yeah, totally. Oh my gosh, 
it's it's and, been a while. I know Etsy has like a big performance culture mm-hmm. too. We've had Laura Hogan on the show. Uh, and if you don't like her, that's fine. You can just say no, that. I love um, her. But, <laughs> no, okay. Uh, <laughs> I miss her every day. I love Laura. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I know like performance was a big part of Etsy's culture, and y'all worked very hard on that. And and is that still? And you had mentioned you're redoing the performance dashboards. Is performance still like one of the table stakes of Etsy? Inge? Yeah, I think um, I think it's really interesting. Because, you know, like company culture changes over time and a lot of it depends on the people. And I think that for a little while we let performance slide a little bit and um, something that, you know, my team has been working on and now I'm specifically like focusing on is, is improving our like culture of performance. You know, we've hired a bunch of new engineers have come on. And so like with new people and new ideas, you have to constantly reinvent what your values are and reinvent your culture for these new people. And performance um, is something that is coming back into vogue almost. Like people are starting to more. I appreciate the honesty there. That's nice. Like it's true that sometimes stuff just, you know, even though you were great at it in the past, I mean, great at it every day for forever. There's kind of a roller coaster of mm-hmm. caring about stuff. <laughs> yeah, and I think you know, and I, I think um, performance in the front end space is is really hard. It's really comp. It's like it's we've always had a performance culture on the server where you know if something added a couple hundred milliseconds to the server response time then it would be very much like everyone was on top of it. People would be getting messages left and right. Like the kind of support structure would come up and be like, how can we fix this? How can we solve this? And I think that that the front end part of it is really what I mean when I say that like it had people hadn't really been thinking about it as much is. That's, uh, that's a really good point. Like a hundred milliseconds on the server all of a sudden people show up like, you know, <laughs> like managers are getting involved and stuff, but a hundred milliseconds on the client and people are like, yeah, well, yeah. Uh, call, call me when it's <laughs> 10 million milliseconds or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so I think that's, that's the best. That's well, true facts. Yeah. yeah. And you know, it was very much like, Oh, well just, you know, browsers are fine. You just keep shipping all the JavaScripts and it's just put it down and there. it's fine. It so, out. So yeah, so I, I think that's, I will amend to say that like, it's more front end performance that hasn't been a heat, like that kind of fell up to the wayside as part of the culture. Server performance has always been huge. Um, but yeah, so working on trying to I, fix that and surface that and help people understand why it's so important. My uh, performance and maintaining performance is hard. Like I consider myself very performance minded and, you know, I, I went to webpagetest.org slash easy, put my site in there and I was like, sure, I'm fast, right? What's what's like, slash easy? Nope. It's like basically like the like easy or like easy config mode. Okay. Um, and so it's just basically like sets it to like a mobile client and configures all that sort of stuff like the right latency and stuff like that um 
and I ran my site and it's like 45 seconds load or something. And I just was like, goodness, what did I do? You know, I, I added like four little podcast thumbnails to my homepage. Did that really do it? And, you know, it turned out it was how I was loading my fonts. I fixed my fonts and like shaved off 33 seconds. I don't think that's like scientific hard data, but like, like 33 second page load improvement for fonts is incredible. So like, I don't, I mean, it's just, it's so easy to get wrong, you know, or, or backtrack, I guess, or, or like you're saying, like backslide, like, so easy to be like, oh, I'm in now in a non-performance situation. How do and I know the tools to get there, or I can figure it out. But like, it's it's hard to to monitor that and and be aware. All the yeah, time. totally. And it's it's cumulative too. So you know, one team runs an experiment that adds you know thirty kilobytes of JavaScript to the global bundle. And then another team writes a different experiment that adds that same amount. And so each individual team, when they're running their experiment, they might not see a huge degradation in perf, but once both of them are ramped up to hundred percent of traffic and they're interacting with each other, the effect really gets compounded over time. And so you're right. Like it's, it's very hard to lose track of the overall performance picture and it's little changes that one team makes that another team makes. And once they end up in the wild, it it's worse for everybody, you know, but yeah. Well, and it's always like, Oh, well this, you know, moved whatever revenue 1%, that's like $48 billion a year. So like we had, that's, you know, you're like, ah, is it though? But anyway, if it was really $48 billion a year, we would all have space yachts. That's just <laughs> like, like I just, so one time in an A-B test meeting, I'm going to go, clearly it did not add that much money because we are all not stupid. Rich. Right. <laughs> I wouldn't mind having a space yacht. Let's, yeah, let's solve uh, that problem. We That's our... <laughs> Space yacht. No, don't stop till space yacht. So that's amazing. God, web page test is open source, isn't it? Somebody just how has nobody hopped in here and be like, just gonna do a little cleanup, design wise. Here. Oh, I, if uh, web page test wants to reach out to Dave at Paragon, <laughs> <Inc. laughs> uh, I would. Uh, this would be a dream project. Well, because uh, goodness, the crazy story is, um, is it's. It's one one person, Pat Meenan, mm-hmm. who I mm-hmm. think oh, I, I can't remember. He used to work at Google. He recently went somewhere else, but but he basically has been running it for years and years and years. And he had like a rack of devices in his basement because when you run web page tests, most of the time when you choose like a mobile device, it's actually pulling up the page on a real mobile device, which is why web page test is so awesome and so useful is because you're seeing the real effects of like having a low CPU or having reduced latency. Um, and he just had like a, a rack of devices in his basement. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know if that's true anymore, but at least. And like, it's like grandma's basement or in North yeah. Carolina. Or something. <laughs> you know, it's just like different, but I don't, I, I don't, I'm sure I, I Google's, I think pretty, bought into this here but i'm sure they fund it and he has like private instances which i don't know do you get your own rack of 
devices in the basement or what? Like, no, you have to provide your own devices if you have a private instance. Oh, really? In your own office or like, or in your own? In your network somewhere. I I could be wrong. Is if from what I understand it is if you run a private instance, um, because we used to have one that is dead. Um, But if you had a private instance, unless you had, unless you had your own farm of devices, it would just do um, the simulated device. Mm. Dave Rupert does have a farm of devices. I have collected some. Maybe I should open for business. But I could be wrong about that. I, I am definitely not a web web page test custom instance expert. There's a lot of words. <laughs> I know. I was like, <laughs> if you want to get an API key to like run automated, you have to like email Pat, right? <laughs> like, you like, I think you still email somebody to get an API key. So it's kind of wild. Yeah. But. I'm doing good on my. I like the easy thing. I didn't know that. But I'm getting an F for cache static content only because of Gravatar only. Yeah. Gravatar, any third party ad solution usually just fails. So I have a lot of Etsy well, tabs open right now, too. Just because I was like, well, if Katie's me on the show, I'm going to open up Etsy just so I can be looking at the site while we're talking. And then I'm like, dumb to dumb to now I have like 15 tabs open. So. <laughs> Gosh, do you have a, is there a secret coupon? Uh, for no. <laughs> no. People ask me that all the time. Christmas is coming up. and uh, gonna, No, we don't. So we, we aren't the ones making and selling the items and getting the, we just skim a tiny little bit off of the top, but all the money goes to our amazing, creative, talented sellers directly. So we don't get discount. Well, the only discounts we get is if somebody has a sale on their shop and you happen to find it and you can use that. But no, we don't get like a corporate discount or anything like that. But. While we're doing absolutely inappropriate requests for anything, what I, I, was, I really like the love, obviously, because then I can remember stuff. Like that's obvious on Etsy. Like I need to, because I, I, now I have 15 new things I've hearted that I may or may not purchase at some time. Mm-hmm. But I would think there'd be like machine learning up the Yahoo at, at Etsy that because that's what I like. I want to like teach it once that I don't want to see like customizable drumsticks, you know, like, <laughs> nope, yes, I don't care about that. Or if like something is obviously not of my taste, I want to be like, downvote. Oh. I want it to learn from what I don't like so that, and then I want the, my home screen to just be like a m- machine learning masterpiece of things that I do like. Yeah. Well, just teach it what you like. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm just, it'll happen. Okay. I bought a uh, like a marble tower for my daughter on Etsy for her birthday recently, and now it's showing me like five thousand marble towers. But I'm cool with it because <laughs> I like marble, marble towers. Are really cool. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you want to buy more of know. them? Come on, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I went big and I went too big because the marble tower is taller than she is, so it doesn't. I'll actually put it in the closet for next birthday because it's like just straight up too big. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, I go to my Etsy. Uh, Dave Rupert has maybe been looking at too much Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> <clears throat> the whole thing is Dungeons and Dragons. So, uh, well, Katie, uh, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, very excited about your role as front end architect uh, and and what that will entail. So, very like curious. Like, you know, I I just keep us posted yeah. on how that goes and and 
what you're learning there because it's very interesting. So, but for people who can't follow you or aren't following you and giving you money, how can they do that? Yeah, um, you can follow me at K Siler on Twitter, and um, there's a Twitter handle for the Bleep website. <laughs> and, okay. um, and yeah, I think. Uh, Julia Evans and I actually, you know, um, of the wizard zines, we worked together to make a zine for, um, dang it. Amazing. Yay. So, um, I'll make sure to give you the link that we can put in and send people to go and buy the zine. It's only like $10, I think. So it's a fun, it's like a nice little thing to have. It goes into a lot more detail than the website does. So Oh, I love it. I actually need to purchase this. Um, Should put it on Etsy, huh? But no, it's on Gumroad for the moment. Yeah, it's on Gumroad. That's cool. Uh, so Julia has all coach. of her beans, So, Well, cool. Well, thank you again so much for coming on the show. And thank you, dear listener, for downloading this in your podcast or choice. Be sure to start her favorite up. That's how people find out about the show. Follow us on Twitter at Shop Talk Show for tens of tweets a month. If you hate your job, head over to shoptalkshow.com slash jobs and get a brand new one because people want to hire people like you. And... Uh, Chris, you got anything else you'd like to say? <gasps> Shoptalkshow.com. <laughs>